I'm beginning, okay, I'm loud. That's the, there we go, that's better. I thought I was, I was starting to hear a little rumble there. Uh, I like shortcuts. Do you like shortcuts? So I heard somebody say no. You're, you're probably smarter than, than the rest of us. Um, I, I have to admit that I, I like shortcuts, but shortcuts can get you into trouble. Um, shortcuts can be appealing because, um, well, I mean, you know, think about the technology in the world that we enjoy. We have microwaves. Um, how, let me, just real quickly, how many of you can remember when you first had a microwave in your house? A few of you, how, how long ago was that? I remember for, for our family, it was probably the early to mid-80s, and yes, I do remember that far back, but I remember prior to that not having a microwave, and I remember uh, the, first, the first people in our family was my grandparents, my, my dad and mom and, and uh, my uncle and aunt, numbers of, of our family went together and bought my, my grandparents a microwave. I think it was an anniversary gift or something like that. And then it wasn't very long before we had one. And, uh, you know, it's just, it, it's, it's a shortcut. It's quick. It's nice. You get hot food fast. Because who has time to wait? Now, you know, it is, it's better, much better quality food if you really cook it. But um, microwave's nice. We have, one of the things that I really appreciate about the device that I carry around on my belt is the GPS, and there are often times that I know where I'm going, and I know how to get there, but I will still use the GPS because I want to know how much time it, it will predict that it will take me to get where I want to go. And I have also experienced times that that it will tell me there is a traffic jam or a, or a car wreck or something up ahead, and it will steer me on a side route, a side track, and take me around that traffic jam, that slowdown, so that I can, I can keep moving and not get stuck. Shortcuts. But there's one way, one place that we must not take shortcuts. And that is when it comes to the cross. And this is what I want to talk to you about for just a few moments. I've really felt the Lord direct me to this passage from John chapter 12. Do not bypass the cross. Do not bypass the cross. John chapter 12 and verse 20. John chapter 12 verse 20. Now among those who went up to worship at the feast, were some Greeks. So these came to Philip, who was from Bethsaida in Galilee, and asked him, Sir, we wish to see Jesus. Philip went and told Andrew. Andrew and Philip went together and told Jesus. And Jesus answered them, The hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. 
Truly, truly, I say to you, unless a grain of wheat falls into the earth and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it bears much fruit. Whoever loves his life loses it. And whoever hates his life in this world will keep it for eternal life. If anyone serves me, he must follow me, and where I am, there will my servant be also. If anyone serves me, the Father will honor him. Now is my soul troubled, and what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour? But for this purpose I have come to this hour. Father, glorify your name. Then a voice came from heaven, I have glorified it, and I will glorify it again. The crowd that stood there and heard it said that it had thundered. Others said, an angel has spoken to him. Jesus answered, this voice has come for your sake, not mine. Now is the judgment of this world. Now will the ruler of this world be cast out. And I, when I am lifted up from the earth, will draw all people to myself. May God add his blessing to the reading of the scriptures. There's a part of this passage that I wish I had time to address, but I'm not going to take time, uh, at least other than just a passing mention. It's the beginning part. It, is in, it has always intrigued me. These Greeks came to Jesus. They came looking for Jesus. They came to Philip, first of all. Philip, probably because it seems that he was a Greek uh, man or of, of a similar uh, ethnicity. And uh, they came to him and said, we wish to see Jesus. Uh, I don't know how many of you have ever uh, had the privilege of standing behind a pulpit, but I've stood behind a few pulpits. And there used to be something that you would see a lot more common than you see it nowadays. Uh, on pulpits years gone by, there would often be a little, a little plaque somewhere where the minister could see an inscription of these words, Sirs, we would see Jesus. And that always served as a reminder to the one who would stand behind the pulpit and declare God's word that it's not about me, it's not about what I have to say, or my opinions, or my ideas. What's important is that people see Jesus Christ. These men came to see Jesus. They came to Philip. Philip went to Andrew and told Andrew, hey, there, Andrew, there's these guys here. They want to see Jesus. And Andrew did what Andrew was so good at. I could preach a message just about Andrew. Andrew was, you know, he's not one that we read a lot about in the book of Acts, as far as I know, other than maybe just a passing mention. You don't read much about him. But what's interesting about Andrew is as we read about him in the Gospels, he was someone who was bringing people to Jesus. He was in that role multiple times, where he, he was the one who was a connector. He brought people to Jesus. Well, he did this together, Andrew and Philip. They brought them to Jesus, these men. They, they wanted to see Jesus. And, and what intrigues me about this is Jesus answered them, and what he answered them was the, the lion's part of the text that we read. The hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. I, I don't know. What intrigues me is what did that have to do? What does this have to do with why the Greeks came looking for Jesus? I, I'm not sure. I haven't put all that together yet. 
And I don't know if those men ever really got the interview that they wanted with Jesus, but it seems to be this scenario that prompted Jesus to give this message that really all of us need to hear in the church. The world needs to hear it, and it is relevant to us tonight, both in terms of us as we partake in a few moments of the bread and the cup, and it is also relevant as we prepare our hearts for revival meeting. Jesus begins when he answers them by talking to them about the paradox of life. The paradox of life. A paradox is a seemingly absurd or self-contradictory statement or proposition that when it is investigated or explained often proves to be true. A paradox. Jesus To explain this paradox of life, he gives the illustration of the seed. He says in verse 24, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless a grain of wheat falls into the earth and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it bears much fruit. Whoever loves his life loses it, and whoever hates his life in this world will keep it for eternal life. The paradox of life, You know, we see that illustration in the seed, and that's another thing that has intrigued me, is why Jesus would use that, because really the seed seems to be full of life. It is full of the potential for life. In fact, it is, it is life in its embryonic state in the seed. And I don't know how many of you have done any planting. I know a few of you have done some planting. I remember as a, as a boy getting a little packet of seeds, and I'm not sure. seems like I remember this was a long time ago, but it seems like it was a little packet of hollyhocks uh, seeds that I had been given, and I found a little place to to plant those. I, I thought I was very clever at the time. I, I went to where the window air conditioning unit was, and I looked and saw right where that little condensation drip would come down and land. And I, in my little mind, I thought that would be a good place to plant that little seed because it would get watered there. I don't remember if it ever sprouted or grew or it bloomed or anything. I just, I remember planting that little seed. But, you know, isn't it tempting sometimes to think, and I think this is really a picture uh, of people's lives and often what we do with our lives, is we may look at the picture on the seed packet and see the beauty there in the picture and relish the Uh, the potential for life and what it could be, but never really go forward with the planting of the seed because it, it involves loss. Notice there are a number of contrasts that Jesus uses here, and it is in the contrast that we see the paradox. Jesus says that if uh, unless, it, uh, unless the seed is planted, it abides alone. There is the loneliness of the unplanted seed. But if that seed is 
planted, it can multiply and bring forth much fruit so that it is no longer alone. It is multiplied. We see also the, the paradox where Jesus speaks of those who love their life and lose it. Loving life and losing it. Jesus talks along these lines in a number of different places when he calls people to discipleship and he tells them that uh, uh, if we're going to follow him, we must deny ourselves and take up our cross and follow him. For what would it profit a man if he should gain the whole world but lose his soul? If we could take the whole world with all of its wealth and all of its possessions and put a fence around it or put it in a box or a treasure chest and say it's all mine but yet we have lost our soul we do not have uh, our souls uh, for eternity we we've lost everything we don't have anything of real value Contrast that with those who hate their life in this world, and they keep it for eternal life. What does this mean, hating our life in this world? It's, you know, it's not, a, it's not the idea that we must be these self-deprecating individuals where we talk about how, you know, how poor and wretched we are and we're just nobodies. Uh, but it is this understanding that God has called us to self-denial and self-sacrifice. I believe it was C.S. Lewis who spoke of humility in these terms, and he said humility is not thinking poorly of yourself. Humility is simply not thinking of yourself. And there is a difference. Often we find the people that think poorly of themselves or badly of themselves are in, in many ways just as self-centered as the one who thinks very highly of themselves. Except for the fact of mental illness, taking your own life, suicide, is one of the most self-centered acts a person can ever commit. In, in, in stating that, I, I'm, not, I'm not wanting to add pain to anybody's experience. If you have that in your background or in your family, I hope you understand. I think often there are, are situations of, of mental illness uh, that uh, we can look at and say, you know, perhaps that explains why this person did what they did. But many times we see they end up in that place, and if you trace it back to their life and the direction that their life took, it's simply a long trail of self-centeredness and self-centered living that leads them to that point. The paradox of life, friends, as we see it in the illustration of the seed, is that the seed is full of the potential for life, but the seed can never have the life that it is meant for unless it is completely and irrevocably sacrificed. Yes, the seed brings life, but in order for that seed to bring life, it must be planted, and after it is planted and germinates and grows into the plant, uh, 
that seed is gone. You know, you can't dig it up and find the seed and use it again. The seed is gone. Now, yes, it, it multiplies, it produces fruit, and there are more seeds there. But that seed that you started with is, is completely and irrevocably changed from what it was. Moving on, we see the results of this sacrifice. Uh, if, if you do take the seed and plant it, you sacrifice it, you give it up, as Jesus spoke of. We see, first of all, uh, the result of the sacrifice is fruit. It is, it is abundance of fruit. We read uh, the words of the Apostle Paul uh, in 2 Corinthians chapter 9 and verse 6, where he speaks about the law of sowing and reaping. And uh, the truth is there, and I understand he's, it's a different context, he's talking about a different lesson, but it, it still applies in this context as well, that you always reap more than you sow. Because seeds multiply in growing and in fruit bearing. Not only is there fruit and abundance, but there is beauty, the beauty of, of the plant and the beauty of the growth of the seed is found in, in the fruit that is born. There's also new life. There is two kinds of new life. There is new life for the seed itself. The seed dies, but it comes back to a new kind of life, a completely different kind of life from what it had before. Not only that, but it is life that is multiplied because the, the potential for life in the seed is not just the potential for it to come to a new kind of life, but it is the potential to provide nourishment for others. It is life that is multiplied. This is the results of the sacrifice. Let's look now at the path to life, the path to life. Notice Verse 26, if you will, Jesus says, If anyone serves me, he must follow me. And where I am, there will my servant be also. You know, following Jesus is a wonderful life. It is a wonderful way to live. And I wouldn't have it any other way. But friends, we need to be aware that there are also times when following Jesus will put us in uncomfortable circumstances and uncomfortable situations. If you follow Jesus to the cross and read about the disciples, those that did stay, some that uh, found themselves they wanted to be near Jesus, but because of the circumstances they found themselves at a distance, yet they continued following. You remember about Peter, there's one place uh, in, uh, the, in the gospel record where it says that Peter followed afar off. He followed from a distance. But he continued doing his best trying to follow, and then Peter found himself there by the charcoal fire uh, in the courtyard of the high priest, and the people there began to recognize him, began to recognize his accent, and said, you're, you're, you were one of them, you were one of these Jesus followers. No, 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 not me. 
and Peter immediately wanted to distance himself. There's another story about a young man that we read about in the Gospel of Mark that got caught up in the press, in, in the crowd of people as they were uh, arresting Jesus. And he was about to be taken along with Jesus, but he twisted. The scripture seems to indicate he twisted and somehow got out of his garment and escaped, at least partially unclothed, leaving his garment behind. And what's interesting about that is that most Bible scholars believe that was Mark himself as a young man who was close to that situation and saw some of it happening. When we follow Jesus, it, is, it, it does lead to wonderful places and often wonderful privileges. Friends, I could, I've enjoyed privileges, and I'm sure some of you could, could tell the same things, things that I've been privileged to participate in and been able to do just simply because I'm following Jesus that I would never have been able to enjoy without it. But yet we need to be aware of that side that can also be uncomfortable. We, we think wherever I am, we read this, if anyone serves me, he must follow me. This is verse 26 of Luke chapter 12. And where I am, there will my servant be also. And I believe Jesus was talking about going to the cross. And then he says, if anyone serves me, the Father will honor him. Notice, notice verse 27. Jesus says, now is my soul troubled, and what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour. But for this purpose, I have come to this hour. This is, I'm, in other words, Jesus is saying, I'm troubled about what awaits me. This is the, this is the prelude to the agony in the Garden of Gethsemane. And Jesus is disturbed by what faces him, and he says, well, how am I going to approach this? Am I going to say, Father, save me from this hour? But he then realizes and he states, it's, this is why I came. This is why I'm here. I cannot avoid this. And so he is obedient to the Father's will. This is the path to life. The path to life is in following Jesus Christ. It is following him in obedience. It is following him in conformity, conformity to the Father's will. Jesus recognizes it's, this is the purpose I have come for, conformity to the Father's will. Do you know what it means for us to conform to the Father's will? Romans 8, 29 says that it is the Father's purpose for us that we would be conformed to the likeness of Jesus Christ, that we would be like Jesus and ultimately, friends, this path ends in self-sacrifice. It ends in self-sacrifice. Can I just tell you this evening, I do not want to be satisfied with the potential of the seed only. I don't want to be content with the picture on the package and say, oh, I have here such wonderful potential. I believe what God could do. I believe what might happen. 
But like the man in the story of the talents, you remember the one who was given five and the one who was given just a few and then one man was given only one. And you remember that one man with his one talent. He said, Master, I knew you were a hard man, reaping where you have not sown. And so I took what you gave me and I buried it away and I hid it. And now here you have back exactly what you gave me. He received what was given, but he did nothing with it. I don't want to be satisfied with the potential of the seed, maybe enjoy the picture on the packet every now and then, but in the end, try to maintain a life of comfort and bypass the difficulty of the cross. I don't want to take any shortcuts because, friends, you and I know if you've ever tried to do anything, learn anything, get anything worth having, there are no shortcuts. You've got to, you know, if you're trying to learn your instrument, you need to put in the hours, put in the practice, put in the time. If you're trying to learn a language, whatever, whatever it might be, whatever you're trying to learn, there are no shortcuts. And friends, in this simple matter, we say, oh, pastor, you know, salvation is a free gift. Yes, it is. Thank God. I agree. Salvation is a free gift. But friends, God has called us through Jesus Christ to more than salvation that, you know, typically what most people mean by that is we, we know we get to go to heaven when we die. What God has called us to is discipleship. It is following Jesus Christ to the point of self-sacrifice where we give up everything and ultimately there is something in you and in me that needs to die. And it is that that, that, that expresses itself in self-centeredness, the self-life. It is that thing that causes us to want to have the shortcut, to bypass the cross, to go the easy way. And friends, Jesus could not fulfill his purpose and bypass the cross, and neither can we be everything that God wants us to be if we take shortcuts and bypass the cross. The only way... The only way for us to be all, do all that God would have us is to follow Jesus to the cross and there lay ourselves down as a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. And it is in laying ourselves down, in dying to self, in dying to the old life, that we find the seed is planted and the result is resurrection life. It is planting the seed that brings the death that leads to life. On Tuesday, January 3rd, 1956, Jim Elliott and four other missionaries landed on a small strip of land in the jungles of Ecuador. Most of you probably know this story. It was a dangerous landing, and they could not all land at once. For years, they had been dreaming of and planning for this moment, and their hearts were set on reaching the Aka Indians with the good news of Jesus. This was a tribe that 
they were notoriously dangerous. No one had ever reached them before. Some had exchanged gifts, but always the Akas had attacked them. For three months, these missionaries had been regularly flying over the area and dropping gifts and shouting greetings from the airplane. And When they finally reached the point where they were ready to land, they landed and they built a hut and they waited for the Akas to come and find them. On Friday, January 6th, three Aka Indians, one man and two women, approached them. And they exchanged greetings, and the missionaries showed them things from our civilization that they had never seen before and gave them some of these items as gifts. And that man was even taken up in the airplane for, for a ride. That was Friday, January 6th. On Sunday, January 8th, they were due to radio in to their base camp at 4.30, but there was radio silence. No message came. A plane was sent, and then later a rescue party. Four of their bodies, the bodies of these missionaries, were recovered. All of them lanced to death. The fifth was never found, and it seems they were ambushed. All five had given their lives for the sake of Christ. All were married. Four were fathers. One of the wives of these men was pregnant. Her three-year-old child was heard to tell the new crying baby after it was born, Never you mind, when we get to heaven, I'll show you which one is daddy. Jim Elliott once said, who, Jim Elliott was one of these missionaries who'd given his life for the sake of reaching these Aka Indians for, the, uh, for Christ and with the gospel. He said this, He is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. As we think about both communion, receiving the Lord's Supper in just a moment, and also as we think about revival this week, it might seem, as I mentioned a moment ago, unusual to have this emphasis as we prepare our hearts for revival. Yet God spoke to me through these verses in my own study, and I want to ask you some of the same questions that I have felt God confronting me with. And I'll be honest with you and say I don't yet know all the answers to these questions in my own life, but I am seeking God and trusting that He will speak to my heart. Questions like, Lord, what am I holding on to that I need to release? to your hands. Questions like, where am I pursuing comfort when you are calling me to conform to the cross? Where am I looking for a shortcut when there is no shortcut? The only way is the way of the cross. To lay our lives down in self-sacrifice. And we might say, but Oh, preacher, it hurts. It's painful. I understand. I've been there. I expect there may be times that I face that sense of, of loss and pain again when there's something that I feel intensely that I, that I want, that I want to hold on for myself, and I feel the, the pain of that being torn away 
But friends, can I just tell you that I have never given up anything for Jesus' sake that I have found it was well worth opening my hands and giving it up. Not easy, but I later found, oh, it was, it was worth it. It was worth giving up for the sake of receiving victory. Jim Elliott's diary was found by the rescue party. These were the last words he wrote as they waited for the Aka Indians to come to them. Listen closely. He, he writes very beautifully. He wrote this, I walked out to the hill just now. It is exalting, delicious to stand embraced by the shadows of a friendly tree with the wind tugging at your coattail and the heavens hailing your heart to gaze and glory and give oneself again to God. What more could a man ask? Oh, the fullness, pleasure, sheer excitement of knowing God on earth. I care not if I never raise my voice again for him, if only I may love him, please him. Perhaps in mercy he shall give me a host of children, converts, that I may lead them through the vast star fields to explore his delicacies whose finger ends set them to burning. But if not, if only I may see him touch his garments, and smile into his eyes. Ah, then, not stars nor children shall matter, only himself. And then he closes with prayer. O Jesus, master and center and end of all, how long before that glory is yours, which has so long awaited you? Now there is no thought of you among men, then there shall be thought for nothing else. Now other men are praised, then none shall care for any other's merits. Hasten, hasten, glory of heaven, take your crown, subdue your kingdom, enthrall your creatures. Friends, let that be a prayer for us today, tonight, that God's kingdom would come on earth as it is in heaven, not as some far-off future eschatological event, something that will happen when Jesus comes back. Yes, I expect it then, but to say, oh Lord, in me right now, let your kingdom come. Set up your throne in my life. And if it means, as it will, that I die, then so be it. So be it. Amen.